Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Nelson, and welcome to PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops, the podcast devoted to all things winter maintenance. We're brought to you by AASHTO's PSYCOP Technical Service Program and the voluntary contributions from state departments of transportation that support our program. For the past couple of days, PSYCOP has been at the Federal Highway Administration's Road Weather Management Stakeholder Meeting in Phoenix, Arizona. We've been able to connect face-to-face with many of our member states and get some feedback from listeners. If you like our podcast, please let us know by leaving a comment, or better yet, hit the subscribe button so you won't miss any episodes. Now, I know many of you know our guest, Laura Fay from Montana State University. Hi, Laura, and welcome to PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a great opportunity to get together at, at these uh, uh, stakeholder working group meetings. There's a lot of good, great presentations and uh, lots of things to learn. I agree. I really appreciate learning about all the individual projects that the DOTs are working on that otherwise you wouldn't really hear about. Now, when you think about winter maintenance things, you know, things that come to mind are things like equipment and materials and and the folks that actually do the maintenance. But there's another important player in this winter maintenance business, and, and that's the research community. Yeah, I think it's an integral part of winter maintenance, and um, it's a little daunting that I may be representing the whole research community right now, so please know that I'm only speaking for myself. (laughs) Um, But with that being said, I really see so much value in organizations um, like this and TRB, APWA, where you have an opportunity for Uh, researchers and um, winter maintenance practitioners to interface, Clear Roads, PNS, Aurora. Um, It's a really unique environment. Um, A lot of uh, really fundamental research is driven by a research idea, um, whereas a lot of the research funded by Clear Roads and Aurora is driven by practical need. And so I think that's the key of bringing research and practitioners together is answering questions that need to be answered to improve existing practices. You know, and, and you know, you mentioned TRB, and it's, that, that's really an interesting sort of topic because when you talk to the practitioners, you know, they sort of see TRB as this uh, academic highbrow uh, organization over there that that uh, you know. Well, it doesn't satisfy my needs, you know, because after all, I just, I, you know, I plow snow and I spread salt. But, but I think there's there there really is sort of a a connection there between the practical research that takes place and and what happens uh, that that, you, that comes out at TRB. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. TRB produces a lot of resources for folks. Um, So from a synthesis project where a researcher might just do research on what's been done and what's the state of the practice, that will actually help define what needs to be done research-wise. Whereas the bigger um, projects like a, a NCHRP project might actually help develop guidelines that are then implemented at the state level. So these are very um, connected, kind of what's going on at the state level. They may not know it at the time, but there's a lot of applicability. How did you find your way into winter maintenance research? Um, uh, Not directly, that's for sure. Um, I finished in grad school at uh, University of Nevada, Reno in 2006. And my husband and I decided to move to Bozeman, Montana. 
um, so he could pursue his degree and his passion. And um, that's when I began working for Montana State University at the Western Transportation Institute mm -hmm. under Sean Meng Shi, um, who's a great researcher in this field, um, has since moved on, but he was an invaluable mentor. I basically learned everything from him and every other person I got to work with in the, over the last 13 years. So your, your bio on the internet says that you're the program manager for the Cold Climate Operations and Systems Research Group. What, 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 what exactly is that? <laughs> That's fancy. Basically, um, when Sean Ming ran the program, we were known as a winter maintenance group. Um, and we had some shifting of personnel um, right around when Sean Ming left. And so what we did was we kind of rebranded um, to incorporate the different um, research areas at Montana State and within WTI. So this allows us to say the... Um, WTI uh, is the... The Western Transportation okay. Institute. Sorry, I'll acronyms. Um, <laughs> we live by our own yeah, language, right? <laughs> right. So I guess the new um, cold climate group is more of a multidisciplinary group. We have um, traffic safety engineers. We have avalanche scientists. Um, we have, we've done work with land resources, environmental sciences. So we're pulling from a ton of different areas so that we can bring in their statistical experience, their microanalysis of snow crystals. There's just a lot of opportunity out there that um, we wanted to pull from and bring into the organization. What kinds of projects do you work on up there? Uh, it's really diverse. Um, this year, I've worked on everything from kind of classic winter maintenance research where we're doing uh, lab work using trafficking machines in our cold lab facility where we're looking at performance of different de-icing products to um, the other side of what I do is low volume roads research and we're working on a guidebook for unpaving roads. Mm -hmm. So it's really um, a huge spectrum of projects. And I can go into detail on, on more if you want, but I don't... I think there's some, some probably some really interesting stuff. Uh, what are some of the most interesting projects that you've been, that so you've been working on? So the folks on the radio don't know this, but I was coached with a few questions, and I was thinking about this one um, specifically. And I don't want to pick out any one project as more or less interesting because they all have their appeal They're in different ways. Right? It's like, I'm a mom. So every, <laughs> every child, every project's important. Um, for me, a lot of these ideas have been a labor of love, um, where the research need statement was maybe written up years ago. And it took years to, for the agency to find funding or for the idea to catch on for it to come to fruition. So those are kind of like my baby projects that I'm really proud that are happening and I have high expectations for implementation um, of those results. And one of those is uh, the unpaving guide, which is not necessarily winter maintenance related, but um, is very needed and um, I think will serve an important purpose. But a lot of the projects I work on, um, we're working a lot right now on weather severity indices and storm severity indices. Mm -hmm. um, and at the kind of uh, countrywide level, what folks are doing and providing general guidelines down to the state level of parsing through all of their RWIS data, determining what data is good and bad, what can be used, and, and really fine-tuning a weather severity index 
um, to tailor to different climate regions within mm-hmm. a specific state. So, so um, why is that storm severity index so important? You know, I'm we're to a point now where there's so much data, um, and we got big data. We got right? big data, and we may as well use it. <laughs> you know, and folks are being held accountable for their actions, and this provides an opportunity for them to say, "Last winter was a in quotes mild winter, but you spent this amount." Uh, we need you to justify that versus this winter that was a average winter and you spent this amount. Um, and so what that storm severity index allows you to do is to normalize your costs based on the type of uh, weather you experienced. Um, if the forecast called for a big snow event and so you went out and pre-treated, that's going to in a way count against you. Mm-hmm. Um, but this allows you to kind of normalize for, for events like that. Um, or if you have a bomb cyclone that's been talked about a lot today, it'll allow you to say that was an extreme event that's kind of off the charts for what we normally get. So we would expect you to have a higher expenditure for that type of condition. I know when I was a district engineer that we used to get those performance reports all the time. And, and, um, you know, they'd look at it and you'd say, oh, it, it, it never snowed. How come you used all that salt and sand and, and all those overtime hours? And it's like, well, but we had frost events every night. Right. And uh, so I know one of those uh, severity indexes would have been, would have been a would good have been thing great. to help with those performance measures. Now, are, are each one of those, like, tailored to a different set of circumstances? Uh, I mean, you'd think in a... Like for my case, where frost was a big issue, that, right. that that would be something we would want to factor in. But, you know, if you were in a, a freezing rain kind of an environment, maybe that wouldn't be quite so important. How do you build those equations? To- right. So right now there's kind of a spectrum of options for how to handle it. And it's either the broad stroke or that we're going to consider all the major conditions that you experience or what we're working on with this one state is... Uh, we're going in and we're trying to identify specific regions that have freezing rain, that have drifting snow, um, and tailor the calculation for those types of events so that um, the the identification of a storm will, will capture that. If um, winds coming from a certain direction at a certain speed typically mean drifting snow for you, we're going to say, okay, this is a storm event, um, even though normally you wouldn't think it would be. But plowing a road that has drifted snow on it requires action. And so we want to make sure that that's folded into the mix. So yeah, you can, if the data is good, you can cap, capture events like that. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned that sometimes these research need statements, they sit around for a long time, uh, have to ferment a little bit and you find funding and so on. Do Is there a danger that that, that need gets stale? Or For sure, for sure. Um, you kind of touched an iceberg of, uh, of information there. But yeah, I think initially when you write up a research needs statement, hopefully it comes from either a gap that you've identified in a research project or from a DOT itself or Federal Highways saying that we need this. Um, but I think it's very important to go back and revisit these research needs statements every year if, if you're still pushing for it, um, mostly because a lot of times there are advancements that weren't considered maybe in the original statement, or maybe another state has picked it up and is doing the work and mm-hmm. you need to account for that and maybe could do the next phase or build on that. You know, one of the things we joke about with researchers all the time is the, the first 
uh, recommendation is we need to do more research, right? right? Um, where do you see these research need statements coming from? Are, are they like mostly DOTs or, uh, I mean, you've seen through your experience a lot of different uh, DOTs, a lot of different agencies. Um, did you get a chance to, to put together some, some research needs and, and work that through? Yeah, so sometimes um, a DOT will approach us directly and say, we're interested in having this done. Can you write up a research needs statement or a proposal for us to consider mm-hmm. um, to determine if we can afford that, if that's what we want? Um, and then through organizations like TRB, I serve on the Winter Maintenance Committee and I help with their research needs statements. And through that committee, um, anyone can propose an idea. A friend of the committee or even just an attendee could propose an idea um, that's then converted into a research needs statement. Um, the odds of it being funded might be low, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it's not a good idea worthy of funding. Um, so there's there's... A lot of routes, I guess. You could also pursue private funding for ideas. Um, like if you have an idea that you're very passionate about and you want to go and try and sell that idea, you could go to private vendors or seek other funding sources like NSF, um, things like that. The National Science Foundation. Yes. The, um, uh, you know, and I've seen projects like that, you know, you and like at the TRB, at the committee meetings, um, you know, when you throw those ideas out on the table, everybody sort of dogpiles on. And before you know it, you've, you've got a pretty decent uh, research project put together. Right. And I think that's a really important and vital function of these committees is to take an idea and help craft it into something realistic and something that's then going to produce a usable product in the end. Um, I really see that as part of the job of serving on the committee and, um, so I, I would encourage everyone who's listening, if you're not serving on committees like this um, and you are passionate and have great ideas, to consider doing them. Well, and, and you know, there's, uh, we, you know, we've had Tina, uh, Tina Greenfield mm-hmm. on the, the podcast on the show before, and she's talked about things that are going on with TRB. And they always put a plug in to uh, register for the My TRB, be a friend. <laughs> you know, a, a lot of, a lot of uh, state DOT folks that, you know, they don't get to go to TRB. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't participate. You can be a, a friend uh, of TRB. You can be involved in uh, correspondence and, and the communications and, and that sort of thing. So. Right, I agree. And there's a lot of resources from TRB that folks may not be aware of and that there's a whole database that they maintain of papers and presentations and posters that are presented every year that you can search through. Um, And they also have webinars throughout the year that um, may be very applicable to what you want to learn about. So staying on top of those and listening and participating when you can is, is great. You know, so since we've sort of been zeroing in on this whole TRB thing, um, one of the things that does happen, you know, at TRB, of course, are the lectern sessions, you know, where you go and, and you hear the 15-minute the presentations. Uh, but they also have seminars that are there. And you participated in a seminar uh, at the last TRB session, and it was called uh, Safe and Sustainable Snow Fighting, Managing Environmental Impacts in Winter Maintenance. Um, what, what kinds of things did you share during that seminar? 
That's a great question. Um, it was a really, for me, empowering seminar because it was a great mix of state DOT folks, private industry, um, and it was an opportunity to share kind of um, where we're at, but where we can go. Um, and I don't like to be doomsday about things. I'd like to think that we are on the leading edge of having an opportunity mm-hmm. to um, modify our practices or be aware of our practices in winter maintenance before we're in a place where chlorides are regulated. Um, and so a big part of the workshop was creating dialogue of where are we at, um, what are we doing, and and how can we improve things? And? <laughs> and um, so I help at a lot of the uh, APWA conferences, American Public Works Association. Um, I call it being on the speaker series. Mm-hmm. Um but it's an opportunity to speak more to the local public works winter maintenance folks. So you get a lot of plow drivers, whereas at venues like TRB, you get more of the kind of higher um, district office folks, I guess mm-hmm. you would say. Yeah, central office. Right, right. Um, so it's an opportunity to share what I consider like the top three things that you can do to help reduce salt waste. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one is cover your your salt piles. And I know we've all been saying this for years, but um, you can still drive down the road and it may not be a DOT facility, it might be a local facility, and they don't have the funds to cover their salt pile. Um, And just encourage them to say, um, you know, we need this and to not be afraid to ask for it Mm -hmm. because you are losing your product, which is a waste, um, and it's extra time and money out of your budget Um, But it also puts unnecessary product in the environment. Another one is calibration that was talked about today Mm -hmm. um, and the importance of it, knowing how much you're putting out there and making sure it's what you want it to be. Um, If you're putting out too much product in a way that's kind of, that's on you. Um, And so you need to own that and you have an opportunity to modify your practice. Um, And I can't remember the third right now. But it was important. It was. If I think of it, I'll let you know. (laughs) Okay, Right. The, uh, you know, and I think that's where, where you really have a, a unique position. You, you know, you get to talk to folks um, and you get to talk to a lot of different folks. And so sharing that information, I think, is, is really, really an important feature. Whether you're doing, the, you know, the research or not, you know, you're spreading that word. I think that's important. Well, thanks. <laughs> I, I like it. And um, it's a great opportunity especially a lot of what um, folks have asked me to speak about are the economics of best practices. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of information out there on how someone modified a practice and was able to save money to justify paying for more staff hours, more equipment. Um, Essentially, it's a cost-benefit analysis that's just done in-house. And those those seem to really resonate with folks. And, and, you know, so many of them are, are, you know, grassroots it's like there's a lot of smart folks out there that, that are operators that are that are performing this winter maintenance, and they've got a lot of great ideas. And they solve their own little problem, you know, or maybe it's a big problem, but, but they've solved it. But they don't have the mechanism to spread the word, uh, you know, to say, hey, you know, if, you've, if, you've, or if you too are facing the same problem, here's a way you might get around to solving it. Right, and to that comment, I would say... I would encourage those people to put in, to give a talk about that. Um, 
even a talk on lessons learned or um, we tried this once and it didn't work, um, but we're trying it again. Um, mm-hmm. All of those are valuable pieces of information for everyone. What kind of trends do you see happening in this world of winter maintenance? You, you mentioned you're involved in a lot of different things, uh, TRB and APWA and different different venues. Um, yeah, so I definitely would say that data and data collection is kind of what I hear a lot about, and it's been a big part of this um, peer exchange or workshop, um, using um, the sensors that we have out there or non-invasive or mobile sensors and incorporating those. I think ultimately those connected with vehicles um, and maybe even autonomous vehicles will be the future. Um, But I definitely think this big data world is going to come to all of us and we need to maybe embrace it and and move forward with it. Um, With that being said, and that being very kind of futuristic, I think a lot of the problems, especially with chlorides that we're dealing with now, are for a lot of folks still um, more basic, Mm -hmm. which is the product storage and the calibration and the application techniques. So I think in a way there's a, a discrepancy due to um, probably a lack of funding or um, training that has kind of got us to this this Mm -hmm. place that's a little imbalanced. Mm -hmm. Well, and like you say, if if we don't take care of business, somebody will take care of business for us. Right. Well, Laura, thanks for being on PsychOp Talks Winter Ops and, and sharing your experiences and your thoughts on winter maintenance. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, to our listeners, thanks for listening to PsychOp Talks Winter Ops. Until next time, keep your salt dry and your trucks clean.